Well, we're returning to the book of Jonah. We've been working through this little book for the last few weeks, and I invite you to turn to the last verse of chapter 1. We'll not only cover that, but we'll cover all of chapter 2 this morning. As a young man growing in his faith, I was given the privilege here at Highland Crest to teach our students to offer leadership in some Wednesday evening classes. And I can remember a morning in June where I sensed a leading into the ministry from this very room that I'm in this morning. And so that positioned me to, to seek some education in a, in a place they call seminary. And so for three years, I took all sorts of helpful classes. And then after graduation, went to a church in Michigan And having volunteered in many different roles in various churches and now undergirded with a a master's of divinity, I I thought I was poised for leadership within the church. But nothing can really prepare you until you are right there sitting behind that pastor's desk. And when I became pastor, it occurred to me that's when the real education really began. My first morning as pastor, I can remember going to a hospital there in Flint and seeing a few of our deacons. There was a loved one there in the church that was having surgery. And the, the, the chairman of the deacons pulled me off to the side and says, now what's this I hear about you firing our secretary last night? And I was like, wow, I'm getting a real education on how the inner workings of a small little church can take place. You know, there are things that we can learn from books but they're things that we have to learn from experiences. If you say, I want to learn how to drive a car, well, you can look at some books for that, but there's really no substitute for getting behind the wheel. You can say, I want to learn how to rock climb, and you could watch some YouTube videos on that, but there's nothing like climbing a 50-foot wall of granite, facing your fears of your heights, and getting to the top and having your guide say, Okay, just lay back, trust me, I got you, as you blade down that wall of granite. And the same is true in our Christian life as well. One of my favorite authors and teachers is a pastor named Tim Keller. In May, uh, Pastor Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. As I was driving from the church to home this past week, I was listening to an interview with him in which he said, you know, my whole life I have been telling people, you can trust God. He is available to you. He will sustain you. But for the first time in my real life, I've had to do that for every moment of my life. And Pastor Keller would go on to say, I would never change or trade the quality of relationship that I have right now with God to go back to where I was with God before cancer. I have found this to be true in the inner workings of church as well, that people could grow up in the church. You might even be a leader and might even teach Bible study or Sunday school class. But when the pressure hits, you find out, really, do you believe what you teach? So maybe a man comes along with a buddy and says, hey, My God shall supply all of your needs. But then that man, that leader, suddenly has his job taken from him. 
And then we find out, do you really trust God to supply all of your needs? Or maybe there's this wife that is loving wife and is always speaking about grace and forgiveness. And her husband comes home from a men's retreat or a men's conference and confesses some private sin to her. And then she finds out, really, is my life really all about grace after all? Or maybe you can trust God, you, you can depend on Him, but then a loved one gets a, a fatal diagnosis. And you find out, do you really live, do you really believe the things that you teach there at church? Well, what we're going to find today is a man of God named Jonah. His name means beloved, or dove, rather. And he has been one that has been commissioned by God to go to Nineveh, to preach a message to the Assyrians. And you remember that he was unwilling to do that. So he purchases a ticket to go in the opposite direction. As far as I know, the the furthest known city out west was a city called Tarshish. It's an old Presbyterian preacher from Philadelphia named Donald Barnhouse that says, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you are going and you always have to pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you will always get to where you are going, and he pays the fare. Well, he did pay the fare all right. And as he is traveling out west to Tarshish, we saw in chapter 1, verse 4, that a great wind came up upon the people there on that ship. And this should have been a clue for Jonah to repent, but, but he did not. And so they continue moving westward. And in chapter 1, verse 7, there's this point where all the, the pagan sailors cast lots and they say, you are the one, you are responsible for this storm. And we're going to find out today in chapter 1, verse 17, what, what the inner workings of this man really is, is he gets thrown out into the sea. He was in the ministry, but where did he go? When he hit the sea. And where do you go when you hit the seas in your life? So let's look now at Jonah chapter 1. And let's look at verse 17. I think this is helpful for us to hit it for introduction. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Loved ones, what do we do with this verse? There are many that would be reading this passage and they would say, you had me up until this point. I thought this was a a fantastic book. I was following the storyline, but there is something too sensational here. There's no way something like this could actually happen. We must have to read this figuratively. This must be some sort of an allegory. How is it that we would read this this morning, loved ones? I would suggest that we take Jesus' example. In Matthew 12, verse 40, he saw this as literal. I think we should take it as literal as well. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The book of Jonah is not another fishing story. This literally took place. And we would 
pretend right now to say, well, let's, let's draw on history. Let's find circumstances that were similar to Jonah's. But I would say to you, loved ones, as Christians, we don't have to go down that path. We just believe that God's word is true. And it is something that we can depend on. I don't know, I'm getting a little bit off my notes here, but I was thinking of all the different prophecies that have been cast in these last couple of months that, that related to the, the presidential election. I know it seems this way, but, but God has told me that this is going to happen. And I don't know if you were sent any of those, but I was. Many of them have said that President Trump will remain as our president. That was the prophecy. And, and so there's probably a lot of Christians that are just downcast and confused. And, and if you're viewing online or if you're here in person, I will tell you that the only thing reliable is God's Word. And we should always come back to God's Word. And if you have a prophet, quote-unquote, that is telling you something, I would just be suspicious. I would just go back to what God's Word says. So here we have it. This literally did take place. There was a great fish that swallowed up Jonah, according to verse 17. And if, and if that sounds like a whopper to you, then let me give you something else. Not only this universe, but all universes were created by God. And they were spoken into existence. And if that's not enough for you, that sin entered this world by a man and a woman disobeying God, and that stain has been passed down to every boy and girl since the moment that happened. And if that's not enough for you, the only, the only possible way that you can have a right relationship with this holy God, get this, is by him sending his own son on your behalf. And he was born of a virgin. And he came to die a humiliating death on a Roman cross. And he not only completely died, but three days later rose from the dead. And the only hope that you have for eternal life is for you to put your faith in trust in what this Galilean carpenter did for you over 2,000 years ago by repenting, by placing your faith in Christ. And that is the primary message of our church. That is the primary message of Christianity. And if you believe that, then you have no trouble believing in Jonah being in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And if you have been walking with God long enough, you've seen miracles in your own life as well. So by way of introduction, the book of Jonah is not another fishing story. Now, let's look at Jonah beginning in chapter 2, and we'll read all these ten verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall Again, look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me. 
to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped up about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Father, as we think about Jonah, and we think about this man, he was in the ministry. He, he was around the people of God. And yet, he was in defiance to what you have asked him to do. Yet, when he was thrown out into the sea, we find out where his faith was. Would it really stand? And God, I pray today that it wouldn't take being in the sea, it wouldn't take being in the belly of a whale for us to find out, but your Holy Spirit would reveal our intents, our heart today, as we just look at the Word of God that is capable of exposing us and showing us who we really are and where we see sin, would you give us the grace and the courage to ask for forgiveness and then be empowered with transforming grace to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the main point of our message. If you have your back of your bulletin or if you're watching this online, there's an app, the Bible app. You see the outline there. And it's this. The belly of a whale may not be a comfortable place to live, but it is a wonderful place to learn. And we might say the same, I'm not in the belly of a whale today, but I'm in all sorts of affliction. I feel like I'm being engulfed and being surrounded by all sorts of stuff that I would never want on my life. This may not be a comfortable place for you to live, but I want to appeal to you that it is a wonderful place for you to learn. You'll notice here in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And finally, if, you, if you're following along with us here in the book of Jonah, we say, finally the brother is praying. Where was this prayer when the instruction was first given to him? Arise and go to Nineveh. You would think that would have prompted him to say, God, are you sure? You want me to go to these Assyrians, these terrorists who commit brutal acts. You want me to go there? If you want me to go there, then I am appealing to you for your grace and for your strength to go and to accompany me there. Or as he goes and buys his ticket on that boat and he goes west, as he is traveling west and the first strong wind that gusts across the sea, certainly that would have been an opportunity for him to say, oh, who am I to negotiate with the God of all these universes? God, if you want me to go, yes, I will go. Get me off this ship. I must go and obey God and go to Nineveh. Or when these pagan sailors had confronted him and said, it's because of you, your God is punishing us. He is punishing you because of your defiance. And as they all look 
looked at him and he had to determine, is it worth my life? Is it worth the life of these sailors? Surely that would have been a time for him to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm giving up. I'll get off and and I will go to Nineveh. I will obey God. He was choosing to disobey God over his very life. So then you have these sailors and they, they chuck him out into the water. And it is here where this prodigal prophet comes to his senses. And you can't help but see the parallels with Luke 15 and the prodigal son, can you not? Fleeing his father, going off into a wild country, and then coming to the end of himself. It could be argued, is this great fish a symbol, a tool of wrath, or is it a symbol or tool of Well, it is certainly here of mercy to get him to come to the end of himself. And I appreciate it says here that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Often our most passionate prayers arise from hardships, do they not? We're not so much concerned about the language or our posture. We are in crisis and we are crying out, with everything that it was is within us, God, please intercede, please come, please help me with my situation. This past week, I came across a little poem that I found helpful that illustrates that it really doesn't matter the posture that we have. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be astutely clasped in front with thumbs appointing down the ground, said Reverend Hunt. Last year, I fell in Hodkins Well head first, said Cypress Brown, with both my heels sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and then, best prayer I'd ever said, the prayest prayer I've ever prayed, a-standing on my head. That's probably the best prayer I've offered as well. Not physically up on my head, but when a crisis comes in, and we'll give Jonah credit now, God's grace is working in his life as he is turning to pray. It says there in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the belly of death, I cried, and he heard my voice. I've entitled this message, Seminary at Sea. The point is, that this man now is going to get an education to find out what's really going on in his heart. And he's, in order to be a recipient of mercy and grace, there's a few things he's going to need to learn. And the first is this. In his prayer, we see him saying, I am nothing. I am nothing. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Jonah is praying, 
for you, God. You cast me into the deep, in the hearts of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. Listen to this. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, these are not just neutral waves. These are God's waves that are crashing over Jonah. He understands that God is bringing discipline in his life. Martin Luther said it this way, Jonah does not say the waves and the billows of the sea went over me, but thy waves and thy billows, because he felt in his conscience that the sea with its waves and billows was the servant of God and his wrath to punish sin. Then we also see here in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. That word driven away in the Hebrew language is also translated in Leviticus chapter 21 verse 7 as divorce. As, as a husband putting aside his wife. And it's as if Jonah is saying as he is in the sea that I feel like God's blessing and God's presence has been removed from me. And in order for him to experience God's mercy and grace, it's as if God is offering him a glimpse of the wrath that was in store for those in Nineveh. So the first thing he learns there is, I am nothing. The second thing he learns here is, I am powerless. Look at what it says in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This past week, I was listening to a sermon on this passage. And the pastor, I'm sure, was uh, far more educated, a far better speaker, far more gifted than I am. But he made this observation that when Jonah was thrown out of the ship, that there was a large whale waiting for him, positioned with his, with his mouth open to receive him. I don't think that's true. I think what we see here in verses 5 and 6 is that Jonah would have went down into the water a little while and struggled a bit because there were weeds down there that wrapped around his head. And it also suggests that he was down at the bottom of the sea, at the, at the root of mountains, And the language here is of iron bars that prevented him from getting out from the depths of the sea. It was like he couldn't get away from it. And it was here where this large, great fish would have swallowed him. He realizes, I'm not only nothing, but I am powerless. It's not a bad thing for us to understand from time to time how weak we really are. As I prepare for messages throughout the week, I was thinking of this just yesterday. God, you have given me this responsibility to proclaim the word. And all I can do is pray like crazy and preach with everything I have and trust that you will take the seed of God's word, your word, and bring a harvest in hearts, hearts like mine and hearts like those hearing, viewing online and now in person. Jesus said it this way in John 12, 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, 
it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In order for Jonah to be useful, he had to realize he was nothing. He had to realize he was powerless. When's the last time that's occurred to you? I was thinking of a time in early in our marriage, and, and Melody was um, pregnant, and we were celebrating that. And about three months into that pregnancy, we learned that she had a miscarriage. And this was before our oldest was born, so it was the first, first time she was pregnant. And I remember feeling so helpless I don't know what she's going through. I don't know how to help her. And I know she's in turmoil right now. How? And I felt so, so helpless, so powerless. Jonah, in the next part of this, as he is learning about himself, as he's learning about the grace and mercy of God, he's also come to this point of saying, my only hope is God. Look with me at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Here's, I think, a helpful quote. Why don't you just look on your outline or just listen to this. It says, No human heart will learn its sinfulness and impotence by being told it is sinful. It will have to be shown, often in brutal experience, that no human heart will dare to believe in such free, costly grace until it is its only hope. Our hearts are so stubborn and so proud that it's hard for us to, to provide an argument for someone to realize that they are nothing and that they are powerless. So there are times that God will allow painful experiences to exist in your life to show you that so that you are then eligible to receive His grace and His mercy. For Jonah, he says there in verse 7, the last part, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He mentions the temple in verse 4 as well. He, he was holding out hope in God that God would one day meet with him again. The temple in this day represented God's presence. And the only way to, to be in God's presence there at the temple was for there to be a substitution sacrifice. A man and woman, a boy and girl would realize that they had sinned. And in order to come in the presence of God, an animal would be brought and then to say, my sin would be transferred to this bull or to this lamb. Now I can have a relationship with God. My sins can be forgiven. So this is what Jonah was holding out hope for. The temple. That there would be a substitutionary sacrifice on his, on his behalf. And those of us who know the New Testament know that Jesus fulfilled that law of sacrifice. According to Hebrews 10.10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And then we 
move a little bit further in our passage. And here's the point I'd like to make. As God has mercy on Jonah before Jonah proclaims the same mercy to Nineveh. You see it here in verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, God, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When he said salvation belongs to the Lord, he was now speaking that as one who's experienced God's saving power. He was being saved from drowning there in the sea, saved from dying in a whale, and God has preserved him. No wonder there is thanksgiving in his heart. If he had wrote a song, it might have been something like this. If you know this, singing along with me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. You know the chorus? Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. No wonder there would have been a song in his heart as God had saved him. It is possible here this morning that you're hard on yourself when it comes to sharing this message of mercy and grace. You say, I'm not articulate. I'm not educated. I I get tied up in knots when I talk to people. I I often cannot think on my feet. But here's what I want to say to you as we reflect on Jonah's story. If you have experienced God's mercy, if you have experienced God's grace in a personable way, then you are who God is uses. You are qualified. He will give you the grace to share your story in the way that he has created you. Here you have a professional, a professional minister in Jonah, and he is supposed to be this minister, this this pastor, and he is unwilling to share the message. And so God says, I have to take you out to a new seminary up the sea and teach you about mercy and grace so that you will be able to go to Nineveh and proclaim this same message. I wonder, I'm preaching to myself now, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that we're not as effective as a witness as we could be. It's because we haven't, it's been a while since we remembered the grace and mercy that we experienced. And it's not fresh on our minds. Does Jonah deserve a second chance? Absolutely not, does he? And the scripture records here in verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I don't know about you, but if you've been around fish, fish are slimy and they are smelly. On Friday, I was out 
listening to a message on Jonah, and it was ice fishing, and, and God's providence. I caught a fish, and it was flopping around on the, on the top of the ice, and I happened to have my mittens over there, and, and sure enough, that fish was slapping on those mittens, and now those mittens are in some van going up, coming down from winter camp. You know, I'm sure there's just this awful fishy smell with all the youth and, and, and the adults there as they come back down to Green Bay. And so here, here Jonah with this foul smell, but at least God had taught him, taught him about mercy and grace in a fresh way. You know, when, sometimes I'll play catch with our boys, we'll play catch with the football, and, and I'll say to them, okay, now it's, it's Packer training camp, and what I need is I need people who can catch the ball. If you don't catch the ball, you're getting cut. And so I say, it's fourth and six, we need a first down. And so they'll go out and run a route, and if they catch it, I'll say, okay, you made the team. But if they drop it, I'll say, you're done. You're cut. I need someone who can catch the ball. You get one shot at this, and it's intended to be fun, but I've noticed it increases their focus. I want to make the team. I really want to catch the ball. Fortunately for Jonah, this was not training camp. He was given an opportunity, and he blew it. So God took him back to school. And what a wonderful act of mercy and grace we see in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Listen to this. Even when we are all washed up, in Jonah's case, literally, God offers another chance. You know, I'm, I'm talking to people like myself that in many, many ways have blown it. And you know what the devil wants to do is stomp you down and say you will never, ever be useful. Could anyone here, in light of looking at Jonah's story here, say, God, if he could use Jonah, this stinky preacher, he could use me as well. Our God uses people that have been all washed up, that have blown their chance, blown their chances, and he gives them a second, third, fourth, sixth, a hundredth opportunity because it's by his grace, because it's by his mercy. And then I'll leave you with this. Jonah's experience in the whale foreshadows Jesus' experience in the tomb. And we read that a little while ago, Matthew 12, verse 40 where Jesus was pointing to Jonah's time there, and it says, in the same way that he was in the belly of the whale, I will be in the grave. So I got this for you. Jonah was under God's wrath because he was a rebel. God was giving Jonah what he deserved. But Jesus was under God's wrath because we are rebels. And that sacrifice that Jonah was looking for there in the temple that would offer forgiveness, that he would have God's presence, God's blessing in his life, that sacrifice was pointing to Jesus. For people that are all washed up, for people that need a second and third chance, he is is the one who makes it possible for us to experience God's favor, God's blessing, God's presence in our life. I hold that out to you today. Be encouraged. God is still doing this. 
as he did in the days of Jonah. Father, thank you for this passage that doesn't put a prophet, doesn't put a preacher in a favorable light, but it puts Jesus and his work and your grace and your mercy in a favorable light. And that's what, that's what needs to take place. So God, as we come today, if we are honest, we're not much different than Jonah. If we are honest about our last day, our last week, our last couple of weeks, we find ourselves failing in need of another chance. God, would you bestow your grace and your mercy upon us all over again? We ask it. We plead for it. Help us to be the men, the woman, the boy, the girl that you want us to be. And anything good that comes from this message or anything good that comes from our lives, we will know where that came from. It was because of you and the good gifts that you provided from heaven for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just appeal to you online, here in person. Have you received this gift? Have you received this forgiveness that is offered through Jesus? I want to extend it to you today. Say all you need to do is receive it. Reach out and say, I need to be forgiven of my sin. I I want to be washed of my sin. I want the, the Spirit to come within me, to dwell in me, to give me the strength to obey God. I need a second. I need a third. I need a hundredth chance. God, would you help me? I want to turn. I want to repent from who I have been. Make me a new person. You could pray that right where you're at, right here, or right at home, or wherever you're at today. I urge you to do that. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation. And may this not only be a song, but may it be your prayer in response to the word today.